0: nine years old, playing soccer at EA Hall, junior high in Watsonville, when the ground underneath me began to shift. I, uh, as a nine-year-old, I don't think I had ever experienced anything even remotely like a tremor before in my life, so it was only fitting, knowing what I know about the humor of God, that my first one would be one of the biggest in recent history in California. It was the Loma Prieta earthquake. October 16th, 1989, several miles from my hometown where I lived and grew up, for 15 seconds the ground shook at a magnitude of about 6.9, which would later give me new meaning for words like groundswell or lyrics like Jerry Luce's, uh, uh, a a whole lot of shaking going on. And it wasn't just... It wasn't just the experience in the moment, it was the aftermath and the effect of that much shaking underneath my feet. Santa Cruz, which was about 30 miles, uh, 25 miles north of Watsonville, uh, was also decimated, but they recovered very quickly. Their downtown area was raised to the ground and brought up to look a little bit like Santa Barbara's downtown. Watsonville didn't fare so well. Its 19th century charming downtown was brought to the ground only to be replaced with dollar stores and other sorts of trinket shops. And it wasn't just the downtown area, but one in eight houses was destroyed. I want to show you a picture of one which was on the front page of the newspaper Uh, the following day. This is my best friend's house, Pablo. This is two doors down from my house. And that's not Pablo, that's uh, Guillermo. I think that's his uncle, but... All the older guys in the house were called uncles, so I'm not sure. But this is Pablo's house. This is two doors down from mine. Thank you, Alma. And Guillermo on the front page of this newspaper kind of captured with his face, just kind of stoic and chill, what a lot of us were feeling in Watsonville. This sense of helplessness at the feeling an experience of something in the ground shaking that badly. What do you do? What do you do when you experience something of that magnitude, when your whole world begins to shake? I wanted to share this because of the text before us, because if there's anybody in this room who has felt the ground, so to speak, shake underneath them and didn't know what to do, I think God has a word for you this morning. For those of you that have ever experienced unimaginable shaking, or afraid of experiencing unimaginable shaking, I think God has a word from heaven for you today. The question that some of us perhaps are asking are, are, what are the things that we do? What do we do in an earthquake? I happen to be in the best possible place in Watsonville. I was in the middle of a soccer field, so... Uh, just grass for as long as the eye can see and our coaches immediately told us what to do fall on the ground get on the ground So we did all of us a bunch of second graders on the ground, but I did I did something extra I grabbed the crabgrass with all of my might I didn't just grab it. I like, I pushed my palms into the ground like I was palming a basketball. I was like, if I can just get suction on this thing, everything will be fine. I got grass in one hand. I got the earth in the other. Like the earth is my basketball. I'm palming it right now. I don't know what I was thinking. It's comical in retrospect as a nine-year-old that I was, but I didn't know what to do. This is all I had to do. Grab the ground and, and, and hang on for dear life. And When I think back on that, that was like 20-whatever, 25-30 years ago, I think of how comical it was as a kid that as as this huge earthquake hit the city of Watsonville, I'm just grabbing the earth because that's what's going to save everybody. But that also got me thinking about how comical it is, uh, the things that I tend to do today when the ground shifts underneath my feet, metaphorically speaking. What are the things that we do when things don't work out the way that we want them to? When there's a shaking happening in our midst? and I think back upon that that feeling that I had as a nine-year-old and and what it was was a, a feeling of vulnerability. There's something of great magnitude happening in my life and I feel vulnerable, I can't stop it, it is out of my control. Ever felt that way? For you it might have been an earthquake or something similar as our city and town went through fires and mudslides and floods uh, less than a year ago. It might be something very similar, but it also might be something metaphorical. It's not that the ground is shaking underneath you. It's that your life is shaking underneath you. And it's leaving you in a place of vulnerability where you're asking these questions. How can I be so out of control of a situation? It leaves you feeling naked, vulnerable, weak. And this could be anything. The the list of options is as numerous as the people in this room. For some of you it might be a, a, a broken marriage. For others, it might be a wayward child. For others, it might be a crazy parent. For still others, it might be unemployment. It might be poverty. It might be a setback or a disappointment. It might be somebody in life, maybe at your job, that just hates you and you feel it every day. It might be something systematic that's just wrong. It might be a disappointment of any different, uh, any different kinds. But whatever it is, you've undergone it or you're going through it now or you're afraid that it's going to happen and you know those moments in life that are out of your control that leave you feeling helpless and weak, what do you do? And if we were honest, if I were honest with myself, which I try to be at least half the time, some of the things that I do to counteract the shaking are as silly as that day in 1989 when I grabbed the grass when an earthquake hit my town. This'll fix everything! Some of us, we distract ourselves. We work more hours. We suppress the fear and the pain, hoping that if we suppress it long enough, it'll just disappear. Uh, We kind of stick our our nose, our our foot to the pedal, and we hit the gas, and we just try to burst through the wall of of tragedy or of uh, adversity. We try to work harder, do harder, be more. We bite our our lip and uh, pretend to be stronger than we actually are. We ignore what's going on around us, hoping that if we ignore it long enough, it won't be there anymore. We self-medicate. Through drugs, alcohol, TV, work, distractions, social media. The list of ways that we try to counteract the shaking is endless. How many of us are sitting here right now thinking back to a moment where we tried to counteract the shaking and we're laughing a little bit? Because it was not much different than me grabbing the grass with all of my might. There might be things that we can do that are more wise than others, but if I were honest with myself, a lot of the things that I've done in the midst of crisis were silly. It was just me trying to do what I know I am unable to do, control the situation. What do you do to counteract the shaking, the crisis, the problems, the situations that erupt in your life? The text that we're about to read right now is Jesus coming in on the scene, in the midst of a shaky environment. And he's not giving us three points for making your life better. He's not giving us you know, a, a laundry list of things to fix everything overnight. What he's doing right now, I love. He's describing the type of person who is unshakable regardless of the circumstances. He's also giving us the type of person who gets shaken in those circumstances. He's giving us both. In other words, there are two kinds of people. There's a type of person who cannot be shaken. They are unshakable. And there's a type of person who will always get rattled when things don't go their way, whether it's big or whether it's small. This is the type of person, this first person, that has an unshakable foundation. And Jesus goes on to describe, I'll I'll give you three things that I think he describes this person as. And I love this first one. He describes this person with such simplicity. It is simple. I love this because I'm a simple person. I don't want a hundred things that are wrong with my life from you, right? The last thing I want is like a a Reader's Digest laundry list of a thousand things I'm doing wrong and need to circumvent and fix overnight. My brain can't wrap around it. Give me one thing. Give me one thing that I could step out and try. Give me two, maybe even three things. I know there's a, a thousand things wrong with my life, but I've only got this much bandwidth. And perhaps some of you do too. You've got two, three jobs. You're a single parent. You've got grown kids that are taking up all your bandwidth. You've got a crazy job that demands all sorts of hours, your emotional bandwidth your spiritual bandwidth your physical bandwidth is this small and when you come home on a saturday night ripped and torn and fatigued and tired you don't want a thousand things you should be doing better some of you are like give me one thing man this is why i like jesus in a world of complexity and subpoints, jesus gives us one thing at a time He says, come to me, hear my words, and do them. Let me read this whole passage for you, starting in 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, there's one, and hears my words, there's two, and does them, there's three, I will show you what that person is like. He is like a man building a house. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood rose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake the house, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. I love the simplicity of Jesus describing for us what it looks like to be an unshakable person. And he doesn't give us a hundred things. I'm tired sometimes. I don't want a laundry list of things I need to do better. I know there's a thousand things I need to do better. But if I try to do a thousand things, I'm going to do a thousand things subpar and I'm going to be more tired than when I started. Can anybody say amen to that? I want the biggest bang for my buck. I want somebody to tell me, do one thing, and when you're done with that one thing, come back and I'll give you another thing, and you could just take it step at a time. I wanna know that that one thing is gonna give me a return for my investment. If If I wanted half the amount for twice the cost, I'd shop at Whole Foods for crying out loud. I want to do one thing, and I want to do it well. If you got $10, come on, people. you got $10, and you've got kids, and you've got to send them to college, and you've also got to pay the rent. The last thing you want to spend $10 on is a five-ounce bag of organic pistachios. You need to stretch that thing out so it lasts. I need this thing to cover dinner. Jesus understands we don't always have the bandwidth for a thousand things. And this is one of the reasons why I love him. He's so simple. Hey, just walk with me. You want to be the type of person who remains unshakable in a storm? Walk with me. And he he gives us a little bit more. Three things is nothing. He begins to give us a little bit more to describe what walking, following Jesus means. Come with me. Come to me, hear my words, and do them. Follow me, fall in love with me, listen to the things that I have to say, read the scriptures, read what I have to say, look at the things that I do, and actually put them to the test, apply them to your life. That's it. He makes it so simple. I love this for the person that's tired, for the person that already has a long list of things that they have to get done before Thursday. For the person that's just boil, just boiling, loaded down with religious observances and practices, Jesus steps into your world with a refreshing statement. Hey, it's all about me. If you just step into my doorway, I'll take it from there. And yeah, there'll be more. There'll be some nuances in life. There'll be some complications, but we'll just take it step at a time. How about you? You just start right here with simplicity. Come to me, hear my words do them this is the type of person who is unshakable i love him for his simplicity but don't mistake simplicity for a lack of challenge because jesus gives us three simple things but they are extensive they're comprehensive they're deep they're simple but they're deep When Jesus describes a person who's unshakable, he describes, listen to what he's saying. He's describing the entirety of that person's personality, as he tends to do. Come to me. Right there, he's describing the person's heart. He's describing your intention, your will, your desires. He wants your heart. He doesn't stop there, though, does he? Listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. Now he's describing your mind. The mind of a learner that doesn't just love Jesus, but wants to know what Jesus has to say about everything. Then he doesn't stop at the mind or the heart. He goes further into the body, which we talked about last week. Do the things that I'm telling you to do. This is Jesus at the prime, speaking about the whole person, mind, body, soul, heart. It's just like he said uh, when he echoed uh, the young person's uh, question about what the, what the most important thing they could be doing. Remember that, that person in another gospel? He came up to Jesus and he said, uh, just give me one thing, man. I don't need a thousand things. I don't need a hundred things. I've got a lot of things on my plate already. Just give me one thing. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He kind of cheated a little bit, gave him two things that turned into five things. But he's Jesus, he can do that. But do you hear what he was saying? Saying love God with every part of you, Not not just your heart, certainly your heart, but not just your heart, also with your mind, your soul, your body, your relationships. Jesus is always after the whole person. And this is the problem that we sometimes run into is that compartmentalization. Well, I'll give you my mind. I'll learn right things about you. I'll go to a Bible study, but you can't have my heart. I'm not going to let you into the pain. I'm not going to let you into the disappointment. I'm not going to be vulnerable when things start shaking. Or you may say, I'll let you into those things. I'll let you into the deep parts of my world, into my heart, into the pain. I'll be vulnerable with God. I'll be vulnerable with others but I have no idea what Jesus says about such things. I have no idea what Jesus says about my identity, about my brokenness, about my pain, about my wounds. I don't know how he heals, I don't know what kind of God he is, maybe he's angry at me. And you go on your way with a lack of knowledge about him. Or you might have both of those things, and this is what I think Jesus is trying to pinpoint here, emphasize. Your heart might be into it, you might intend to follow Jesus, you might love him for who he is, You might be learning all sorts of stuff about Jesus. You might be devouring the things of God, going to church, belonging to groups, uh, opening up the scriptures, learning how to pray, but you never step out of the door in obedience to what he's calling you to do. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, he says in Luke 6.46. You know what he's saying right here? He's describing a person who... Part of them is uh, calibrated towards Jesus, and the other part is calibrated somewhere else. And this is less of a guilt trip or a shame trip by Jesus than it is Jesus saying, you are not whole or integrated. I want to heal you from the top down, but in order for that to happen, I need all of you, man. I need your body, I need your heart, I need your soul, I need your relationships, I need your ambitions, I need your dreams, I need your pain, I need your disappointments, I need all the things that you're dealing with. I need everything. This is all or nothing. Come and follow me. For the person that's deep in every area of life, they don't just love Jesus, but they love him, they listen to him, they do what he says. There's an unshakable nature to their foundation. And this does not come from categorizing things. You can have this or you can have that. Your experience of stability is determined by the extent of your surrender. Jesus calls all of us to surrender everything. He gets it all. You either get control of your entire life or he gets control of your entire life. But it's one of those Jesus comes to the person whose life is shaking, describing a life that is simple, that is deep, but also what I'd like to call slow. Notice that Jesus isn't describing a shake free life. He's describing an unshakable life, but he's not describing a life that will never experience shaking. All throughout the scriptures, people experienced shaking. Elijah, David, Moses, Abraham, Ruth, Esther, Mary, Jesus, Peter, Paul, James. Every single one of them experienced tribulation and difficulty and adversity and challenge. And Jesus told us that's not an anomaly. He said, in this life you will have trouble. Paul would say in Timothy that everyone who desires to follow Jesus will run into trouble, will face persecution. Peter would go on to say, hey, and don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is making its way into your life. Don't be surprised like you're doing something wrong. You might be doing something right. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. The New Testament would even take it farther by saying, not only is it normal for Christians to undergo challenge and trouble to the sense that you shouldn't be surprised when it happens, but this is actually God's way of changing you into a deep person. He might not send the difficulty, but he certainly will use it. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter troubles of many kinds, James tells us. For it's through that channel that God will bring to you character and steadfastness. Even though in the moment we're like, He's not describing a shake-free life. He's describing what it looks like when your life does shake. When relationships start to break apart. When people stab you in the back. When your job or career doesn't get off its foot like you thought it would. When you're unemployed, when you're homeless, when you're poor, when you're tired, when you're restless, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're disappointed, when you're shamed, when you're guilty, what in those moments that you will experience, what is going to be underneath you when it happens? That's the question Jesus is attempting to answer. Every, every house on my block during the Loma Prieta earthquake right on the face of my block fell to the ground. Except for one. This guy's. It wasn't because of me. I was nine. It was because earlier that year, my dad had a hunch to go underneath the house and check on the foundation. <clears throat> I thought it was because he was paranoid. Now think that it's Maybe a divine hunch that he had. Uh, but he went under there, started to examine rusty nuts and bolts and examining the reinforcement of the foundation, replacing a bunch of stuff and came up uh, about as satisfied as you are when you change your oil, right? Not that satisfied. I know it's working better, but I can't see it. Until <clears throat> six months later when our house was the only one standing The problem in our spirituality is related to this. It's that a a lot of us don't worry about our foundation until the earthquake hits. And by that time, it's too late. Ain't nobody want to go into the foundation of my house on 613 Lincoln Street, Watsonville, California. That house is 100 years old. It's this high off the ground. It's full of spiders and dead cats and the things that they leave. (laughs) I would rather the earthquake took the house than for me to deal with that mess. But someone dealt with it. And in the same way, our foundations are messy too. nobody want to deal with that. Nobody in this room wants to deal with their junk, with their garbage with their messy hearts, with their brokenness, with their disappointments, with their let, set, setbacks and letdowns until the crisis hits and it's too late. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? Jesus is diagnosing the problem. You have a shaky foundation. You might have a few pylons in place, but some of them are missing. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. He, the great doctor, is examining what's making people sick. In other words, he's not giving us a quick fix. He's not saying, listen, in the moment of crisis, you just need to do these three things and it'll all blow over. No, the crisis does not. He's not giving us a way out of the fire, he's not giving us a way to make things disappear. He's not even giving us a list of things to do when the crisis hits. He's telling us the type of person who exuberates an unshakable foundation when the crisis hits. He's giving us ingredients for being the type of person who is unshakable. A way to become the type of person who is unshakable. An unshakable foundation, it turns out, is less about you and more about the person who is with you than anything else. As Jesus begins to describe with simplicity and depth and slowness, that it's not the person that turns in crisis to Jesus in the moment of difficulty that has a strong foundation. It's the person that turned to Jesus before the crisis hit. Now, here's the thing. If you don't care about Jesus and you turn to him in the midst of a crisis, he's going to receive and accept you because he's gracious and he loves you. It has nothing to do with God's love for you. It has to do with your foundation. And you'll continue to come back to him in crisis over and over and over because the foundation is weak. And he gives us those three pylons. Come to me. Do you love me? Listen to me. Learn from me. Do the things that I'm saying. Three things. That we, as, as people endeavoring to follow Jesus, should ask which area of the foundation in my life is weak? Do I love him with all of my heart? Or even a fraction of my heart? Let's just start there, baby steps. Do I just, do I just want him in my life? Am I learning about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing? And am I putting those things into practice? In what area of your life are the pylons weak? Jesus is saying, the type of person who is unshakable in a storm is not the person that thinks about these things in the midst of the storm, but who is doing these things before. When he describes a person coming to him, hearing his words and doing them, he's using this tense that refers to an ongoing relationship. It's not the person that just wakes up in the middle of a difficulty and says, okay, I'm going to do it now. That might be where you start. But he's describing an ongoing relationship. I am walking with this guy. I am following him. I am digesting, ingesting his words. And I am putting them into practice, step at a time, little by little. This is the person who will become unshakable even though everything around them is shaking. Being unshakable is less about you and more about the person that you're with, it turns out and the person that you're with over a long period of time. I learned a funny story about my dad. Long before I was born, there was an earthquake. I think it was a smaller one. And various parts of my dad's family were all over Watsonville, and some of them were with my grandma, who was very jumpy. And she immediately cried. Not that there's anything wrong with crying. love my grandma. God bless her. And in 99% of her life, she was a stronger person than any of the other men. But in this one, in this one uh, situation, she just lost it. And everyone who was in that room at the time would, I noticed, develop a pattern of losing it when crisis hit. My dad was with my grandpa. They were fishing off the rocks at Moss Landing by Monterey. And as soon as that earthquake hit, my dad, who was a young boy at the time, started to freak out. He looked at my grandpa, his dad, who turned at him, started laughing and said, Look, let's surf. Come on, get down. My dad looks at him and all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, they're laughing. The earth is shaking. Buildings are crumbling. People are crying. And my dad and his grandpa are laughing and surfing the earthquake. I don't know what happened that day to shift my dad's view of life, but I would notice it wasn't just during earthquakes, it was during every tragedy, every crisis, every setback, every disappointment. There would be people in my life who would freak out, but my dad would always laugh. He would surf the problem. If there were a group of yellow jackets attacking, you know, all the fifth graders at church one day, true story he would laugh with a giant padded Patagonia jacket and he would just kill, you know, just kill and save. If there was an earthquake, he would laugh and surf the wave and grab all of his kids and run off. If there was a car accident, uh, if one of his uh, kids totaled his car as a teenager two times, (laughs) he would laugh it off. He might have been cursing in the room The next day, but he would laugh it off. And I just learned from my dad, man. Your situation can be out of control, but you don't have to be out of control. And it's less about you and your control of the situation than it is the person that you're with. What Jesus right here is describing a person who has been with Jesus during the course of their life. Coming to him, hearing his words, doing them and developing little by little into the type of person who will not shake when the ground underneath them stirs. This doesn't happen overnight. It comes through a long lifetime and relationship. But it's all about the person who is with you. And Jesus would once say to his disciples in John 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's all about the person who's with you. Jesus' powerful and divine suggestion, command, invitation, is that you would get to know him before the crisis strikes. I want you... uh, before we, we wrap this up, to think about where we've been. We started in Luke chapter 6 with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, kind of a collection of his teachings about the kingdom of God. And he starts the Sermon on the Mount in verse, uh, verse 20 of chapter 6, talking about the power of the kingdom of God. And he describes it in, the t- in terms of blessing the blessing, the good life of the kingdom has made its way down to people who don't deserve it and can't reach it. The poor, the weak, the destitute, the lonely, the tired, the bedraggled, the unresponsive, the invisible. He goes on in verse 24 through 26 to, uh, excuse me, 27 and on to describe how the blessing of the kingdom can take a person like that who's poor, and turn them into the type of person who's so powerful they can even love their enemies. But in order to love their enemies, you have to, as he says in verse 37 on, start to examine your blind spots in order to empathize more with the people that you used to hate. Of course, we can't see our blind spots because they're, they're blind spots. So, Jesus tells us that the best way to look at our blind spots is to examine what comes out of our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we can look at our habits to see our blind spots, to see the condition of our heart, so the power of the gospel of the kingdom can make its way into our heart, changing everything from the inside out. What he's doing here, wrapping up all of that, is telling us as you're going through all of this, what kind of foundation are you building? As you're examining your habits, as you're examining your heart, as you're examining your way of life, what are you putting into that base layer? There's all sorts of things that you could put into it. Jesus makes it simple for us. I got three things for you. He also makes it very commanding. I want all of you. And then some, and then a little more. But then he takes his time and he slows down. I want you to engage in this before the walls start crumbling around you. Because when they do, you'll be able to say with Paul, I'm persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I carry the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this fragile jar of clay so that when people see that I am unshakable, I'm paraphrasing here, they won't see how powerful I am, they'll see a jar of clay, they will see that the power truly belongs to the God who is in me. I'm going to ask the band to come out, Robert and the rest of the team. In hopes that today we'd be able to get our minds and our eyes off of ourselves, wondering, am I unshakable? I don't know. And instead upon the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who, like us, was actually broken. And even though he was broken, he still remained unshakable. When on the cross, he took on our sin, our disappointments, our discouragements, our pain, our rebellion. Our setbacks, our terrible natures, our bad habits. Upon his back and onto the cross and where he suffered. Wrath and punishment at the hands of people that didn't know what they had when they had it. And there on the cross, Jesus was broken, but he would rise again three days later, unshaken and unshakable, not just to forgive our sins, but to restore us to fellowship to the Father. And the Bible describes him as sitting at the right hand of the Father as both King and Lord. That's the gospel, is that Jesus is Lord. The gospel is not that you have been unshakable up until this point. The gospel is that your Lord is unshakable. And Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, now that we have received a kingdom that is unshakable, let's run the race. For those of you that are feeling shaken, feeling weak, feeling like you're not up to the task, I want to invite you to put down all of your walls, the guards that you've set up for yourself, The defensive strategies that you put up and instead roll into the arms of Jesus Christ, who sits as both Lord and King and yet still has love and compassion for the least of these, and who sees you now in whatever you're going through and says, let's just keep it simple, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is gentle and easy.